or not that that song was written by Dustin Battles, what a unique privilege it is to sing songs, the truth of the Word of God, but to sing them from those who grew up in this church. Uh, that's, that's not every church can say that. That, that is a neat privilege that, that we have. It's a good song. Amen. I invite you to join me in 2 Timothy 3, it'll be in verses 1 tonight. And let's open with a word of prayer. Father, even as your word tells us in this passage, difficult times are ahead. But we have this hope that your mercy is new every morning. And therefore, we can keep heart, even as we have just sung. Not because our strength is so great. Not because we just grit our teeth and, and bear it. Because of the grace of our God. Because of your mercy. And we pray that you would give us that mercy, Father. That you would give us the mercy that you promised for each day. That you would sustain us. That you would give us grace for the trials ahead. Comfort us with the thought that our God is working all things, even difficult things, for our good and for your glory. Encourage us even this evening, Father, as we turn our attention to this passage, that you would be lifted up, and that we would see you above the struggle. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to start with a word of caution. My opening illustration is in no way a, uh, what's it called when you support something? Uh, endorsement, that's the word. It's not an endorsement of this person or their music. And it's probably the first time I'll, and the only time I will ever open a sermon with a Bob Dylan illustration. <laughs> but in 1964, Bob Dylan wrote a song that would go on to become well-known. In fact, it would define a generation, as it were. And that song was called, The Times They Are A-Changing. What's interesting, though, is his perspective in that song. If you read the lyrics, his perspective is that the times are changing, therefore, get on board. Don't get left behind. Change with us. It's really a rebellious song when you get down to the lyrics. Verse 3, call, he says, Senators, Congress, don't get in the way. It's a call, get out of the way. Get on board with what is going on. Stop slowing us down. Verse 4, he turns his attention to parents, to authority. He says, don't criticize what you don't understand. That sounds like a good quote. Don't criticize what you don't understand. We would all agree that, agree with that quote. In fact, I would think a lot of people on social media could use that, that phrase well. Don't criticize what you don't understand. And yet he uses it not as a good thing, but what he's saying is parents, mothers, fathers, you don't get it. So don't criticize us. We know better. It's the wrong attitude. 
The whole song is saying, times are changing, therefore, everybody else, if you don't agree with us, get on board. Change with us. That's not what the Word of God says either. As we come to our passage this morning, this evening, the whole point of this passage and our two points are, yes, times are changing. That's what we'll see first. Then secondly, times are changing. But the truth will triumph. The times are changing. In verses 1 to 7, this is the point that Paul makes to the young Timothy. He says, but know this, Timothy, be aware. Take note, Timothy. In the last days, perilous times will come. Difficult times are coming. Paul's grabbing Timothy's attention. He's saying, don't be caught off guard, Timothy. Know that this is coming. And knowing that this is coming, then prepare for it. Have a mindset of defiant faithfulness. Sounds like an oxymoron, defiant faithfulness, but it's being faithful. In the face of all kinds of opposition, not giving in, but being faithful. Know that these times are coming, Timothy. Know that it's going to get worse and prepare yourself for that and be ready for when it comes. Don't be caught off guard. Know this. Have this in mind. Verse 2, he starts to describe what these days will look like. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now you might say as you read through that list, what do you mean that's coming? That sounds like today. In fact, Timothy and Paul could have said the same thing. There were people back then who loved themselves, who loved money, who boasted, who were proud, who blasphemed, who were disobedient to their parents, who were unthankful, who were unholy, who were unloving, who were unforgiving, who were slanderous, who did not have self-control, who were brutal, who despised good, who were traitors, who were headstrong, who were haughty, who loved pleasures rather than God. These are not new things. None of these attributes of these, this, this wickedness is unique to the end times. But as God allows, they will increase in severity until God, until the Lord returns. Mm -hmm. Paul's whole point here is that evil is going to keep growing. Timothy, the world's not getting better, the world's getting worse. Yes, the gospel will go forth. Yes, people will be saved. Yes, the, the, the gates of hell will not triumph against the church. But things are going to get worse. Sin is going to grow. Wickedness is going to thrive. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Really, if anything, that describes idolatry. Loving God more than 
Love loving something else more than God. Specifically, pleasure. If that doesn't describe our day, I don't know what does. Verse 5, he says this, they have a form of godliness but deny its power. They're hypocrites. They give lip service without heart change. They look good outwardly, but their hearts are dark. They have a form of godliness. They look good up front, but they deny its power. They really don't care. They might look changed on the outside, but they're not changed on the inside. What's scary is that that is a phrase that could describe many of us. We have a form of godliness. We look good on the outside. We're faithful in church. We dress up. We look good. But we deny its power. And what is scary is that that makes these deceivers, that makes these men all the more dangerous. And Paul is saying, Timothy, be aware. Be aware, because they will sneak in. They will look good. And they will jump in, and they will serve, and you will be excited about them, but it will become clear. Because what is in the heart eventually makes its way out. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. They're not godly. They're not even believers, but they, they look good. Timothy, from such people, turn away. Be wary of them. Verse 1, know that these times are coming and be ready. Here in verse 5, know that these people are out there and they are coming and be ready. Be aware. Timothy, guard the church. Do not give them a voice of influence. Now what Paul is not saying here is, 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 is just as the church shut off from the world, don't let anyone in. Guard yourself, separate from absolutely everything. No, still go and make disciples. Still be in the world. Still go to work. Still, still serve in the community. Still get to know your neighbors. Make disciples. But be careful. Guard who you let in the church. The church is for believers. Guard that. Don't let one of these charlatans in. For they will drag you down. The words here are actually pretty strong. Turn away completely. Turn your back on them. Avoid them at all costs. He goes on to explain, but why such strong language here, Paul? 
Well, verse 6, for this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Seems like an odd phrase. Why is Paul singling out gullible women? Men are gullible too. Paul's point here is that they are focusing purposefully on the desperate, on the needy, on the weak. They're desperate women. They're easy play for these flattering, deceitful men. In fact, the language here may indicate that these women are, are, are wealthy. Giving all the more reason for these false teachers to key in on them. These are women who are loaded down with sins and various lusts. These, these men are focusing on needy and desperate, on the gullible and weak. They don't care about them. They're taking advantage of them. Verse 7 is describing these women. They're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. These are women, these are people who have a, a, a pattern of how they act. They're jumping from one popular teacher to the next, one new thing to the next, whatever suits their fancy, whatever gives them what they, what they want, what they crave, what they need. But in the end, they never come to the truth. They've never really been confronted with their sin before a holy God. They've merely had their ears tickled. Time and time again. It soothes their conscience in the moment. And then they jump to the next person who comes along. These are the type of people that these men will come in and they will take advantage of. And they will bleed them dry. Timothy, guard the church. Be aware of this. Have your eye out on for this. Know that the times are changing. Verses 8 to 9 then. But the truth will triumph. Now, as Jan Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Now Janus and Jambres are not necessarily in the Old Testament by name, but it's Jewish tradition that these were the names of the magicians in Pharaoh's court who opposed Moses. If you remember the story, as Moses would, would do an, a sign, they would replicate it to the best of their ability. They opposed Moses. They mimicked his works. They were trying to say, look, his God's not that great. We can do that too. They were so opposed to him that they were willing to lie and to deceive others to conceal it. That's what I find most interesting. Don't 
don't have a mic, I can't walk around. That's what I find most interesting about that. Imagine doing that. No, you know good and well what you're doing. You know you're tricking Pharaoh. You don't know how he did it, but you know you're faking it. And yet you just keep doing it. You just keep faking it. I would think, I would hope that if I saw the real thing, I would run to that. But these men don't care about their truth. They're all about preserving this little world that they've created, this lie that they're living in. And that's what these men are like. As times get worse, as these men come along, as wickedness grows, they don't care about the truth. They care about the bottom line. They're all about preserving their con that they have going on. They know they're faking it, but they're going to fake it until they make it. And they don't care how many they drag down with them. They have that same mindset of Janus and Jambres. In fact, that's what it goes on to say. So do these also resist the truth. That's what Janus and Jambres were doing. They were resisting the truth. They saw it. But they purposely, they mindfully resisted it. Pushed away from it. They're men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. At this point, as you come to the end of verse 8, it just seems so hopeless. What hope is there? It's going to keep getting worse. These men are going to take advantage of the weak, of the gullible. And they're going to look good on the outside, so I can't really tell right away who they are. They have this evil intent where they're willing to just fake it. Even though they know it's not true, they're willing to. They don't care about people whatsoever. How can I protect the church from this? How can I keep making disciples in this environment? How will the church survive? And here Paul shifts gears. In verse 9. But... They will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs was also. As Janus and Jambres eventually ran out of what they could do, they could no longer mimic what God was doing, and it became clear at that point, they're faking it. So too it will come with these men. Their time will be up. They will be eventually found out. And the implication of what Paul is saying here is, therefore, Timothy, stay the course. Yes, they will rise up. Yes, they will come. And yes, people will follow them. And yes, even for a moment, they might thrive. And you are sitting there, and you're committed to the truth, and you're preaching the word of God, and your church is just struggling. And you're losing people as they go over to this, this other ministry that seems to be just blossoming. But Timothy, stay the course. Be committed to the truth. Preach the truth. Know the truth. Live the truth. 
regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the consequences, because in the end, the truth always wins. They might thrive for a moment, but they will fade away. They will fade away, but the truth never will, because the truth is the truth, and it's always the truth. The truth of the Word of God will never change, because the God of the Bible will never change. He's faithful, and he's unchanging. And therefore, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the consequences, regardless of what everyone else does, you stay committed to the truth. Because the truth will triumph. So be aware, Timothy, that the times are changing. That it's going to get worse. And sometimes you're going to feel overwhelmed. But even though the times are changing, the truth will triumph. So brothers and sisters in Christ, I would caution you as Paul cautioned Timothy, be aware and be prepared. Know that times are changing. Know that life as a believer is not easy. But know that your God is faithful. Settle in your mind now that, that what God has called you to will not be easy. Settle in your mind now that the days that are coming will be perilous. Be resolved to endure, to persevere, to cling to the truth, to not waver even an inch. Be aware and be prepared. Be committed. And finally, as Paul ends here in verse 9, be encouraged. Be encouraged that even as the times change, even as the winds shift, your God remains faithful and his mercies are new every morning. And the truth will triumph. What's fascinating to me. I don't know how many times I've preached or, or studied 2 Timothy 3, but I always look to the end of the chapter. If you look where, where Paul goes next, he talks about the man of God and the word of God, and, and he's got this statement in verse 16 and 17, well-known verses, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for all good works. It makes so much sense in context. As Paul is now at the beginning of, of chapter 3 saying, Timothy, times are changing, and it's going to get rough. And at the end of the chapter, he's heading to right here. This is your foundation, too. That's right. This is what is effective. This is what is unchanging. This is what is true. Cling to this. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, be encouraged. The times are changing, but your God is not. The times are changing, but his word is still true, and it will always be true. We're going to stand... And we're going to sing the song 
mercies anew. We just sang it. 